You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to week three edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller, Seahawks sideline reporter alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. And welcome back, John Boyle. We understand that there's a new little baby at home. There is a new baby girl, number two. So uh, everyone's doing great. That's not her name, though. What's her name? Her name is Ruby. Ruby. Ruby, yes. Little Ruby is uh, two weeks old now, doing great. Keeping us up at night a little bit, so if I say anything nonsensical, let's blame sleep deprivation. How long do we get to use that as an excuse I'll for you? Like by the time we get to week time. sixteen, okay, all right. Uh, you so. know, we'll see. TBD. We'll all right, see how we'll goes. see how many folks catch that and then start emailing, texting, yeah. and tweeting us now, about the nonsensical things that you're saying. Now, if you know, in the 2020 season, I'm blaming her for it. We can. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna keep that as right. an option all year. Yeah, just you know. Have that one in your back pocket should you need to go uh, to that excuse. Well, you made it back to see the Seahawks win their week two matchup against the 49ers. I did. So the Seahawks now sit at one and one on the season. And, you know, I, I find it interesting just kind of the comments and the reaction to this game. And, John, I'm not sure that that game against the 49ers was going to settle any of the debates that are happening. No, because if the Seahawks had won that game by 20 points, you'd get the, oh, it was just the 49ers response from people, and then they would still be go prove it on the road against a good team at Tennessee. Look, it it's hard to win games in this league. We see it all the time across the league that even the perceived elite teams can struggle with teams that aren't supposed to be as good. There's stuff to clean up for sure. You know, there there are some flaws in that game, but you still got you got out of there with a win, and now you just try to build. What do you think is the biggest takeaway from that game? Um, you know, I that's a good question. I, I'd say if you want to just look at a positive, it's just how good this defense really has been through two weeks. And, I mean, it, they gave up a couple touchdowns against Green Bay, but one was on a impossibly short field and one was off kind of a fluky, you know, only Aaron Rodgers does it kind of play. Then they went out and dominated the 49ers. But, yeah, on the other side of the ball, I think the takeaway is just that that offense, It's I don't think it's as far off as 12 points would indicate, but they've got some things to work out. I think when you talk about the defense, you're going to have to bring up the play of Bobby Wagner. And you got to bring it up for a couple of different reasons. He's got a big play early in that game, and then he becomes the subject of some postgame comments when he can't seem to secure the ball after making the interception. Brian Hoyer out of a shotgun, empty backfield. Takes the snap, looks down the middle, it's intercepted, Bobby Wagner at the 40. He is hit, he fumbles. The Seahawks recover the ball at the 36. It's Seahawks ball, the first takeaway of the game as Richard Sherman recovers the fumble. Bobby Wagner picks it off, and the Seahawks are in business. Um, I think, to my defense, I think he's a track star, right? Runs a 4-2, and I did not see him coming. So um, they're still going to give me trash, but, I mean, it is what it is. I got the pick, though. I'm glad I didn't drop it. 
So Bobby Wagner getting it done. Here's a fun fact that came out of Sunday's game. Did you talk to Earl after that game? I did not, actually. Did you talk to Frank Clark after that game? I was apparently in the wrong part of the locker room. Well, here's here's what I found fascinating. It was kind of at the end when everybody was clearing out of the locker room. And, you know, there was a point in time where we thought that the Seahawks had gotten a safety. Instead, they decided to mark it down at the one-foot line and, you know, forward progress. I think they got it right. I I, I think they got it right. The safety would have been more fun. But what happened in that play, you know, it was Frank and it was Earl that was that was back there, right? Mm-hmm. Frank got credit for that sack. They didn't give Earl any love for that. They did not give Earl any love. Earl has appealed to get at least a half sack. Do you know why that would be so important to Earl? Because he has never had a sack in the NFL. He has never, ever gotten a sack at any level anywhere playing football. How unbelievable is that? You know, it's, it's unbelievable as good as he is, but when you think of the way he is used in this defense as a free safety, his chances are so rare. And it's, uh, he's, you know, he's pressured a few times in his career, but uh, you can probably count him on one hand. So I I hope he gets a half sack. It'd be nice for him. Well, he told me today that he is taking credit for a sack on Twitter. And I said, but technically Earl, you and I have the same number of sacks in the NFL. And he looked at me and I thought he was going to take it kind of jokingly. And he said, Oh, now you want to joke with me, huh? And I said, okay, well we will just move on and I will wait until you get to celebrate your first sack in the NFL. He should have brought up paychecks or something. (laughs) That that would be the ultimate Trump card for him. Well, sure we do, but. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but your bank account looks yeah. a little bit different than mine. Yeah, so th- he, he's still done all right for himself. Somehow. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he's, he's got a few tackles, a few interceptions, Pro Bowls, All Pros. So, you know, it'd be nice for him to get that sack. But I think at the end of the day, he'll be okay. Well, and with the way that he is flying around to the ball right now, you know that those interceptions are going to come this year. His legs look good. He's in the spot. He's creating havoc, and it just seems like they are this close. You know that that whole momentum things, turnovers come in bunches. Boy, I think the defense is getting ready for uh, for a couple of big games there. When it comes to the offense, well, the highlight that stands out most is Paul Richardson, who not only maintained tremendous focus, found a way to get open when Russell is scrambling, but did it while playing hurt. Russell takes a shotgun snap. Looks. Now he's got to scramble. Now he looks straight ahead. Still scrambling. Moves to the left side. Throws to the end zone. It's caught. Is he in? He is. Touchdown, Seahawks. It's Paul Richardson on the far side. And Russell made it happen with his feet. How he got rid of the ball and found Richardson, I have no idea. On the far side of the end zone. But Rich came back and gave him a target, and Russell found it. Okay, here's what amazes me about that. I had no clue that he was hurt. No, I didn't either. I didn't have any clue when we talked to him in the locker room after the game because Pete was talking at the same time I was talking to Paul. He never showed one iota of pain. He never looked down at his hand. He never gave it away that he was playing. We're not just talking about with a dislocated finger. The bone was sticking through the, the skin. The bone Gross. came out. Yeah. yeah. Like, who, who goes back to work after that? That's when you go home and call it a day, right? (laughs) You're like, yeah, I'm done. Okay, we'll we'll talk later. This is why I don't have a sack in the NFL or why I don't have a touchdown catch in the NFL. Because you're right. I would have just gone home at that point. Especially when your job is pretty dependent on your hands. Like, it'd be one thing if a lineman dislocated a finger and came back. But to, to be a receiver and then go back and catch the game winner on a day when some guys with healthy fingers weren't making all the catches, that's... That is a very, very impressive, tough display by him. 
you mentioned the guys that are not did not make catches, and I I termed those as uncharacteristic. Very after yeah. the game. This is not a team you watch and say, boy, they they have trouble catching the ball. No, and Doug Baldwin pointed out they make the most of their opportunities because they know that this is not a pass first offense. And and he also noted that the Seahawks have a tendency to start slow. How much stock do you place in that, John? Quite a bit. I mean, I it, I kind of chuckle when I see all the panic on Twitter and everywhere else from fans. Like, I get it. Fans are invested and they want to see this team do well. But we've seen this before so many times and so many times the offense has gotten so much better. The team has gotten so much better. Russell Wilson has gotten so much better. Until they go out and play at a lower level and it costs them games all year long, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because we've seen it so much. And there's still... Look, I get the offensive line is young. It's unproven, but there's still so much talent on that side of the ball. Russell Wilson's accomplished so much. You look at guys like Doug Baldwin, Jimmy Graham, some very promising things early from Chris Carson, and we know a healthy Thomas Rawls is a very good player. I I still think this offense has a chance to not just be decent and be okay, but to be very, very good down the stretch. And if we're really being honest with ourselves, when we looked at the schedule before the season even started and you see how it stacks up, having to play Green Bay week one in Lambeau Field, you knew that that was going to be a tough game. And it was kind of a toss up. You'd love to come out of that game with a win. But if you came out with a loss, you weren't going to be terribly surprised. Right. Yeah. And if you have the 49ers week two, you're not really paying that much attention to what the differential is in the score. You just expect to come out with a win, right? Yeah. So either way, you're sitting at one and one, which is exactly where the Seahawks are. And they're going into a couple of games that, you know, you feel pretty good about Indianapolis if you're looking a couple weeks down the road. And this week, it it could be a very interesting matchup against a team that the Seahawks are not terribly familiar with and that pose a few different challenges, which we're going to get into in just a minute. Here's the thing that I'm looking at, though. The touchdown by Paul Richardson is the only one that the Seahawks have scored this year. They have scored 21 points total in a couple of games, which is not necessarily enough to make me panic. But when I see that there are only five teams who have scored fewer points than the Seahawks through a couple of weeks, it makes me wonder how much of a problem is it to score? You know, it's... I'm not going to say you're not concerned about it at all. You want to be better, especially in the red zone. But again, I I think you can, I don't want to say dismiss, but if they weren't getting in the red zone or if once they got there, they were just clueless. But when you've got guys dropping balls that are probably touchdowns on the first two drives down there, when you've got, you know, a receiver fell in Green Bay mm-hmm. that messed up a play, you know, those are things that, yeah, they happen in football, but over the course of a season, they don't happen a lot, and some of those are touchdowns. This team needs to be better in the red zone over the course of a season, absolutely. But I I don't know. I guess I'm just not mild concerned, sure. And again, if, if they didn't have the track record of getting better, I'd be a lot more concerned by what we've seen. But I just, I guess maybe I'm just a little too positive in this, but I just kind of feel like it's going to turn, just give it a little bit of time, and we're going to see better stuff. I would say I tend to have these conversations with lots of folks, and it does feel like we're in the same cycle as we have been the last few or four years, three or four years. Let's get through the first four to six weeks, and then I'll be able to give a better assessment. And to be quite honest, Michael Bennett says it takes four weeks for a team to develop tendencies that he can truly count on and rely on during the course of the season, just as a defensive player. Mm -hmm. If it takes that long to develop, those sorts of tendencies, I would think that 
the Seahawks often should get the same benefit of the doubt. Yeah, sure. And, you know, look, if they're, what would you say, they fit five, only five teams with fewer points? If they're in the 20s in scoring in six weeks, then, yeah, I'll be a lot more concerned about it than I am now. But you've got you've got some youth on that line. You lost some continuity when you lost your left tackle right before the start of the season. So, you know, I think it's, you know, it's taken a little longer than people want it to, including the players themselves. But I, I do think we're going to see them start to get a lot better, hopefully this week. I think we might have to brace ourselves this week for what they're going to face in Tennessee. That offensive line is going to have their hands full with the Titans. Oh, for sure. They get they get a, a Dick LeBeau defense, the guy who's been dialing up creative and difficult blitzes for longer than we've been alive. So uh, this is this is going to be a good test to, to face that kind of pressure on the road. This is true. In fact, Dick LeBeau, I just looked this up, born in 1937. That means that the man is 80 years old. Isn't that awesome? 80 years old is That a is crazy. He has been in the NFL, like actively with a team, for 58 consecutive seasons. He played 14 years as a cornerback and 44 years as a coach. Wow. Think about just the knowledge that he has of the game and to think that he's created some of the defense that you now see pretty extensively across the league. It's unbelievable to me. It is. It's also unbelievable to Pete Carroll, who knows that uh, you've got to be ready for just about anything because Dick LeBeau has not only managed to stay in the league, but he just keeps finding a new way to get the job done. He's evolved, you know. He's never he's never gotten stagnant, you know. It's he continues to add stuff. I mean, I, I can I've seen it for so many years and studied it for so many years. He's doing new things, and and uh, you don't know what he's going to do. You just have to wait to game time and adjust during game time. He's really it's, it makes it very difficult. Pressure is the signature still, obviously. Yes, yeah, from all different angles with everybody. How much have you studied off of him in the past? Um, shoot, I go way back, you know, way back to the start um, of my coaching career, um, seeing stuff and watching stuff that they were doing. They were doing pressure concepts that were uh, um, that were new at the time, you know, zone, zone pressures and stuff like that that other people weren't doing. And, and so I've been studying him forever. So what does this actually mean, John? When we talk about a Dick LeBeau-style defense, what are some characteristics that we're going to see Sunday? Well, it's not just, I mean, pressure is what everyone thinks of, and they, they will do that, but it's the unique ways they do it. It's not just, here's your down lineman, and these linebackers are going to blitz. It's He'll move guys around. He, the thing he's famous for in May is his own blitzes, and you'll see you'll see guys walking around the line before the snap, and it's it can really strain a quarterback, his center, the whole line, that if you're not on it and you don't recognize things ahead of time, it's not just – look, it's one thing to just block the guy coming at you and win the physical battle, but with with a defense like this, it's really a lot of the battle is won or lost before the ball snapped of just figuring out who's coming, who you got to block. And look, in a lot of cases, it's not just who you got to block, but who's who are we not going to block and how do we compensate for that? Because when they bring enough pressure, someone's free, and then it's, okay, where's the hot route, where's the outlet – and just if you, you know, if the right guy's free, it's fine. You you can account for that. If you get that wrong and the and the free guy's coming right up the middle in Russell Wilson's face, then you got no chance. And Ode Bushi today was talking about, because he's had some experience playing against this team yeah, when for, he when was in the Houston, division, yeah. right? And so he said, you know, sometimes they're just going to walk guys, like you were saying, they're just going to walk guys along the offensive line or the, or the line of scrimmage there. You're going to have three 
D-tackle standing in front of an offensive lineman. I cannot imagine how disconcerting that's going to be. Yeah. I mean, you think about, like, okay, just here's my guy, block him, and that's hard enough in the NFL. But when you don't know where the guy's going to be once, I mean, they're moving around, it's almost like musical chairs. Like, hey, when the music stops, where do they end up? And it's, it is really tough. This is where a week where that film study is so important and just figuring out tendencies and and then you just got it. You got to have. I mean, that so much falls on the quarterback. Just the poise that's involved, getting the ball out in a hurry, and always knowing kind of where his safety valve is. And I would also think a lot of that is going to fall on Justin Britt as well to make oh, sure, sure that he's getting the calls. And I'm, I'll be curious to see kind of after the game is over how much he leaned on guys like Luke Jokel and Abushi during the course of the week in film study and in meetings because again, those two guys, Jokel having been in Jacksonville. Ode having been in Houston, I would think it's a lot different to actually experience it in person as opposed to just watching it on film. Oh, for sure. And Tom Cable talked about this week that those two guys are a big help in the room when you can, they can look at the film and it's not just watching a a silent film and taking notes. It's they can say, okay, here's what he's going to do. And he's going to maybe be saying this or giving this signal. And yeah, that, that experience could make a big, big difference. I'm also thinking that this might be the week that you see a little bit more from Chris Carson and not that he hasn't already shown a lot, but one of the things that's impressed me, it's not just the running yards that he's put up. It's his recognition and his ability to seemingly go to the right place when something breaks down, you know, and I'm, I'm wondering, he told me after week one in green Bay, he had a great blitz pickup that Mm -hmm. just, you know, was perfect and it was well-timed. And he said, you know, I really messed that up during the preseason the guys told me that I needed to work on it. It's been a point of emphasis. You know, Chris has been in there for more reps than any of the other running backs through a couple of games. So I'm thinking that this could be a week where we see him step out and do some things that, that show he is as mature as we're giving him credit for. Yeah, it'll be a big test for him or any running back in there with all this pressure. And, and Pete Carroll talked about that with Chris Carson. As good as he looks as a runner, that's the thing that kind of pops out at you when you watch the games. One of the things that has really impressed coaches the most is just what an all-around intelligent player he is for a guy who really doesn't have a ton of high-level football in his background. He was a JC guy. He was hurt in college. He didn't get a lot of playtime at Oklahoma State because of some injuries, yet he's a good protector, a good route runner. Like you said, he knows where to be in those situations. So that's pretty advanced stuff for a rookie two games into his career, and that could really be important, again, against this kind of defense. And we expect Chris Carson to get some of those yards on the ground for the Seahawks. If you flip it over and you take a look at what the Titans are able to do, they've got a couple of running backs that, look, I know Michael Bennett doesn't fear them, but they, I would fear them. They look pretty large in a uniform coming downhill. Yeah, and we don't know yet the status of DeMarco Murray, but even if he can't go, I mean, Derrick Henry's coming off a huge game. I believe it was a career high for him last week. And they're committed. I mean, they're, we talk about what the Seahawks have been at their best, of establish the run, you know, be explosive in the passing game. That That's what Tennessee wants to be as well, and they've been good at that. They're sixth in the league right now, rushing for 137 yards a game, and you know, that's if if you can slow that down, make them not entirely one dimensional, but get them at least into some third and longer situations. 
that goes so far for a defense. And the Titans are among the best at putting up points. I know it's only a couple weeks into the season, but they're eighth right now. They have scored 53 points in a couple of games. And one of the reasons you mentioned just being able to get that running game going, but it's also got to be Marcus Mariota in the red zone, whose numbers are off the charts. Yeah, what is it, 32 touchdowns and no interceptions in the red zone? That's I mean, that that is such an impressive number because we always talk about how things get tighter in the red zone, the windows are smaller, and it's it's easy to make mistakes in there, and yet he's gone the other way and just been so good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, great young quarterback, only in his third year, kind of, you know, like we used to talk about Russell Wilson only getting better, and I think that he's going to pre- present a lot of challenges to the Seahawks. And just like Russell Wilson, though, he is still growing. And Pete Carroll talked about that a little bit in his weekly press conference, that it takes a while to have the recognition and the confidence and really just trust what you're seeing and commit to those plays. So knowing that about Mariota, I'm thinking with a defense that's as aggressive as the Seahawks are with the way that they're growing with Sheldon Richardson in the middle – And as Michael Bennett said, look, we don't have to change what we're doing. We're good players. We play on a good team. We just need to go out and do what we do. And I I could see Marcus getting flustered at some point because of the way this defense can play. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is one of the better defenses in the NFL and has been for you know, for years now. And they Tennessee, A, they just haven't seen the Seahawks, but B, they haven't seen, you know, defense quite that, you know, quite this talented, quite this loaded. I mean, we've talked about this a bunch this season, but eight pro bowlers on that defense out of 11 guys. It's a pretty insanely loaded group. And yeah, it's going to be a a different challenge than what Mariota's seen for sure this season. And you could argue in his three years. Well, the defense, I think, is just getting started, but we are just wrapping up. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. Make sure that you read everything that John Boyle posts on Seahawks.com. Listen to the game on the Seahawks radio network, and we will be back with you next week.